One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreit is on the phone. To the podcast, this is America. Sports podcast. It is Friday, January fifth, two thousand twenty-four. People, yes, I'm going to trip over that at some point. I hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody's having a great day. Hope everybody is ready for the FFE, the Fun Friday edition of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Here's what you need to know about today's show. We're going to open. Not sure if you heard, but a national championship game will be played on Monday. Michigan, Washington, Big Ten versus future Big Ten. Jim Harbaugh, Kalen DeBauer, you get the point. We're going to break it all down, and I'm going to give you my official pick. From there, two interesting portal notes from the week. Ole Miss star Quinshawn Judkins hit the portal. I think this is NIL related. I give you my little, uh, you know, my half-baked, my conspiracy theory on that one. Also. Ohio State, they told us for a month that Devin Brown was their quarterback. Then they just picked up another one in the portal. I am not sold. We'll discuss that. Finally, we'll wrap. No Aaron right, Aaron wrong this week, although I got a lot of stuff right. Nailed both college football playoff picks, but instead I do want to preview a loaded weekend in college hoops. SEC opens up league play. Big 12 opens up league play. ACC, Biggie, so much going on. We got a lot to discuss, we got a lot to break down, and we got no more time to waste. So with that said, let's not waste any more time and let's get to the topic of the day. Topic of the day here on this Friday, well, got some good news and some bad news. I'll do bad news first. Bad news is, people, we only got one FBS football game from now until August. Good news is we're going to crown a national championship on Monday night. National champion Michigan versus Washington. That is the game. Michigan is a four and a half point favorite in the DraftKings Sportsbook. Thank you to DraftKings as always uh, our partners this year. The over under set at 56 and a half. And before we get into this, before we break it down, let me start by saying this. Both college football playoff semifinals. Listen, I'm not bragging, but I nailed them. And I felt very confident about both those games. I really thought Michigan was going to beat Alabama, cover that one and a half points, and I thought Washington was winning outright. This game, I am not nearly as confident, but we're going to discuss it anyway. Now, in terms of the game itself, let me start by saying this. I have the ultimate respect for both of these teams, both of these programs, and I have so enjoyed the journey for each, right? Like, we get so caught up in who wins, who loses, who hoists the trophy, who's this, who's that. I don't think we appreciate the all the stuff that leads to it. And I really appreciate both of these stories. From the Michigan side of things, I know what everyone's going to say. Oh, Torres, how can you? They're cheaters. Well, what I've said a million times, I don't know what Jim Harbaugh knew. I think that that story was largely overblown. But even if you think Jim Harbaugh was involved, whatever. The players did not know. And I, I, I just, I've said this since August. This is the most resilient group of players that I have ever seen. For the last two years, Jim Harbaugh has interviewed for NFL jobs in the offseason. Two years ago when they won the Big Ten for the first time and he came back after interviewing on National Signing Day, I said, he lost the locker room. They're going to be so mad. Then they end up going undefeated, winning the Big Ten for a second straight year and going to the college football playoff. 
Last year, interviews again. This year, suspended the first three games of the season. Team doesn't miss a beat. Go through a national scandal where they are a talking point for two straight weeks. Don't miss a beat. Jim Harbaugh suspended final three games of the regular season. Don't miss a beat. So you can dislike Michigan. You can dislike Jim Harbaugh, but I think you have to respect the guys in the locker room. And then from the Washington side of things, I'll just say this. I already think Kalen DeBoer is like a top three coach in this sport. I mean, he worked Oregon in that Pac-12 championship game like a speed bag. And he, I'm just so impressed by this, this Washington program. He always has his team prepared, always ready to go. They never beat themselves until the final minute of that Texas game. And so I, I I love their story. I love Michigan's story. And I think this game is a fascinating clash of two styles. And more specifically, I'll be blunt. I think both of these teams are built to exploit the other team's weakness or at least something that they haven't seen this year. When I think about Washington versus Michigan, okay, I think about this. Michigan has not seen anything close to this passing attack all season long. In theory, that's advantage Washington, right? Just think about Michigan. They're a great team, 14-0, playing for a national championship. But think about the teams that they've beaten that are really good. Penn State. Don't think James Franklin knows that the forward pass has yet been invented. Michigan ran straight at him for two straight quarters and won that game. Ohio State. Michigan beats them. They immediately run off their quarterback. We'll talk about that later in the show because Ohio State got another quarterback. And then Alabama. Jalen Milrow's great, but he's not an elite quarterback, and the wide receiver core is not elite at all. And so I look at this matchup, and I say they have not faced anything close to Michael Penix. Now, the wide receiver core, you could argue Ohio State's is about as good, but Ohio State didn't have one 100th the quarterback that Washington does in Michael Penix. And so how does Michigan prepare for something that they have not seen this entire year? From the Washington side of things, it's the opposite. How do you beat Washington? Now, admittedly, everyone all year has tried to do this unsuccessfully. But the way you try to beat Washington is to run the football, beat him up at the line of scrimmage, and make Michael Penix sit on the bench. The closest game that they've arguably played all year. It was a 22-20 victory over Oregon State late in the season. Now, admittedly, in that game, it was a driving rainstorm. It was chaos in Corvallis. But that was Oregon State's game plan. They ran the ball 40 times, tried to keep Michael Penix off the field. Washington did just enough to win that game. And so I bring it up because what is Michigan's strength? They want to run the ball and run the ball and run right at you. 30-plus straight runs against Penn State. If J.J. McCarthy does not throw a pass, Michigan's going to be fine with it if they can move the chains. So that's what's interesting to me. Both teams are built to beat the other. Washington, I I said it prior to the Texas game, I don't think that they're bad in the trenches. But even against Texas, they struggled to run the ball, and most of their quote-unquote run yards came from short passes. So the question coming into this game, Who can slow down the other? Who can make the other play their style? Because if Michigan can get up and then just lean on Washington, lean on them, lean on them, lean on them, lean on them, chew up clock, chew up clock, chew up clock, chew up clock, like they did against Penn State, like they did against Ohio State, like they did against pretty much everybody, they're going to win. Washington, on the other hand, can they do essentially what they did against Texas? 
Can they get up on you and put the pressure on you? Because remember, they didn't trail the entire game against Texas. And so that's what I think about in this game. If Washington scores on their first possession and Michigan is playing catch-up from then on out, that's going to be a tough ask of Michigan. Michigan is not built to fall down 7-0, 10-0, 10-3, 14-3. And so that's the big question. Can Michael Penix put up points early in this game? That's a lot of P's, by the way. Penix put up points. And can Michigan control the trenches? Can they get up? Can they keep Michael Penix off the field? Maybe force a three and out, go up 10-0 themselves. And then all of a sudden, Washington is playing catch-up from there. So that's really what's going to dictate the game. Who controls the other? Who can force their style of play? And I'll just be blunt. I do have a pick. I don't feel as good about it as I did Michigan, Alabama, or Washington, Texas. But I'm taking Michigan to win this game. First off, the first reason is kind of BS. But I picked Michigan in the preseason to win the national championship. Picked Michigan over Alabama. By the way, had Florida State and Penn State in the college football playoff. Basically got three out of four. I mean, Florida State was an undefeated ACC champ. Didn't know how it was all going to shake out. But I had Michigan in the preseason. And listen, I learned this lesson two years ago. I'm not backing down from Michigan after picking them in the preseason. Remember, I did that two years ago at Georgia. I picked Georgia in 2021 before it was cool to to like Georgia. Then they got boat raced by Bama in the SEC championship game. Then they met in a rematch, and I turned my back on the dogs. How about them dogs? Well, the Georgia dogs, not the Washington dogs. But I turned my back on the dogs, and the dogs bit me. Bit me in the butt. Uncle bit me in the butt. And so I can't do that to the dogs again. I can't do that. Well, I can't do I can't do what I did with those dogs to Michigan. I picked Michigan in the preseason. I can't back I can't back off now. But that's just part of it. There, there, there's really three reasons why I like Michigan to beat Washington. The first one, this is some of the best analysis that I've ever heard. But I heard Joel Klatt on Colin Cowherd's show on Tuesday after the semifinals. And he brought up something very interesting. If you remember, when Michigan was at its darkest moment, 2020, they go two and four. They did not play Ohio State that year, okay? But why I bring it up is because Jim Harbaugh was at a crossroads. He had to shake up his staff. And one thing that he had to do was change the defense. They had an old guy named Don Brown as their defensive coordinator. He's now the head coach at UMass. Shout out Minutemen. Um, But Don Brown was the defensive coordinator. And it wasn't getting done. And Ohio State was torching them. And Jim Harbaugh basically went to his brother, John Harbaugh, in the NFL and said, I need a guy that can slow down this Ohio State passing attack. And so they hired a guy named Mike McDonald from the Baltimore Ravens staff. After that season, Mike McDonald went back to the Ravens. They got another guy off of that same tree, Jesse Minter, who is still the defensive coordinator. And so I bring it up because think about that. At the time, Ohio State coming off the Justin Fields era, They still had Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. Marvin Harrison was coming down the pike. And Michigan had to build a defense to beat that offense. Well, what is Justin Fields slash C.J. Stroud? What is C.J. Stroud, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and um, and, uh, 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 Jackson Smith and Jigba sound like? It sounds like Michael Penix, Rome Adunze, who I always screw up his name, Jalen Polk, and this wide receiver core for Washington. 
So I'm not saying Michigan slows them down completely, but they're built to face this kind of offense. I don't, I'm not a scheme expert. I don't claim to be. But this staff is in place to slow down high-powered passing attack, star NFL quarterback, star NFL wide receivers. So that's part two. Part three, I can't help but shake two other thoughts. This is part three and part four. Go along. Forgive me. The first part. I was thinking about this as Michigan was laying waste to Alabama in the first half of the Rose Bowl. Now, Alabama came back. They were great in the third quarter, early fourth. But I had a thought. What if Michigan has actually been the best team all season long and we just got sidetracked? Let's think about this for a second. Let's just let's just talk this out. I think Michigan has been by far the best team in college football this year and we got sidetracked by silly stuff. Remember, first six games, they're destroying everyone. Destroying uh, Minnesota. Destroying Nebraska. Remember, P.J. Fleck said he thought it was the best college football team that he had ever seen at the time. And then the Connor Stallions thing happens, and then everyone assumes that it's like, oh my goodness, well, the only reason that they won any of these games was because they were stealing signs and they were cheating and they were taping this and they were taping that. By the way, taping sidelines on an iPhone. That was the big scandal. And I've said it a million times, at the time, I thought maybe it was a bigger deal. Then as it started to go on, I was like, I think people are overblowing this. So what happened was, think about it, by far the best team, we get sidetracked by this scandal, and then they struggle against Penn State and Ohio State. But did they really struggle? Because they were without their head coach for the two biggest games of the year, including one on the road in front of 100,000 people where they didn't find out until an hour before kickoff that their coach who flew with them to State College would not be allowed to run out of the tunnel with them. So were they really, did they struggle against Penn State or Ohio State? Or were those two top five defenses and they didn't have their head coach on the sidelines? By the way, I don't know if there's a team in America this year that could have gone to Penn State and played Ohio State at home and beat them without their head coach. You could say maybe Georgia with Kirby Smart. I don't think Alabama could have done it. Uh, you know, maybe Texas. I don't know. But your two biggest games of the year without your head coach? Georgia couldn't beat Alabama with their head coach. The same Alabama team that just lost to Michigan. So I'm just here to say, I think they've always been the best team. And then lastly, I'll just be blunt. I don't, you know, a team of destiny feels a little bit hyperbolic, but something does stand out. Over the last couple of years, it feels like in big games, well, really, early part of the Harbaugh era couldn't catch a break. Then you go back to last year's playoff, every single thing went against them. Two pick sixes against TCU. Uh, there's a touchdown that should have been called that was over that wasn't called on the field, and then they fumbled. There's a fumble on the goal. Everything that could go wrong against TCU did. They had over a hundred more yards of total offense than TCU. They lost the game. And by the way, TCU deserved to win. So I don't want to disrespect TCU fans that listen to this show. You deserve to win. But I bring it up to say this. Doesn't it feel like this year all the breaks are going Michigan's way? Think about it. Think about the first play of that road. Go back to the Ohio State game. Biggest drive of the season. Remember that play when J.J. McCarthy's rolling out and he throws across his body and the guy catches it and it, it ends up being a, a, it was like third and 10 and it ends up being a fourth and one and they pick it up? Crazy play. Rose Bowl against Alabama. You all watch. What was the first play of the game? J.J. McCarthy interception. Overturned. 
Uh, J.J. McCarthy had that crazy throw where it was the, the toss back to J.J. McCarthy. He throws it deep off one foot. Completion. Had to convert a fourth down to keep the season alive. They do that. So I just go on and on down the list. It feels like every single break this season is going their way. And so in the end, give me a final score of Michigan 27, Washington 21. Michigan controls the clock. Washington has a few big plays. Michigan is your national champion. And my best bet is uh, Michigan minus four and a half. That's my pick. Michigan 27, Washington 21. And yes, part of it is because I picked Michigan to win the national championship in the preseason. All right, this is what I'm going to do. Take a quick break. Come back. When we come back, switch gears. Interesting portal stuff. An old Miss star enters the portal, and it feels like there's something a little sketchy going on. We're going to discuss that. And Ohio State picks up a quarterback. But I thought they already had the quarterback of the future on their roster. I'm confused, Ryan Day. What's going on? Take a quick break. Be right back. Discuss that all next. All right, everybody. Hi, back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears. Want to get to one other college football topic before we get to some college hoops. College hoops is here, by the way. Conference play is starting this weekend. It's about to get crazy. We're going to discuss it all in just a few moments. But before we do, I do want to get to one very interesting piece of college football news outside of the college football playoff. And that is a very interesting update out of the transfer portal. Now, to be clear, Transfer portal stuff is mostly done. The portal is technically closed. Now, players who played in the college football playoff or the New Year's Six do have a couple extra days. But for the most part, the comings and goings are basically done. Players that want to transfer, most of them hit the portal weeks ago. You obviously want to be committed by now. You want to find your spot. You want to get to campus. A lot of schools are starting up their spring semester here within the next few days if they have not started already. So again, all this stuff has largely died down. With that said, as I just said a moment ago, players who entered, uh, who played in the New Year's Six or college football playoff do have a couple extra days. And on Thursday, we got a bombshell of all bombshells as far as the transfer portal is concerned as Ole Miss running back Quinshawn Judkins decided or at least announced that he is planning on entering the transfer portal. And this is huge for two very simple reasons. One, he just might be the best player that has entered the portal. But two, I think if you pay close enough attention, there is something very interesting going on over here. First of all, for people who don't follow, you know, watch college football 365, maybe you follow your team, whatever. As I just said, Quinchon Junkins might be the best player in the portal this cycle. This was a kid that as a true freshman last year at Ole Miss, Rushed for 1,500 yards and 16 touchdowns. This year as a sophomore, only 1,100 yards and 15 touchdowns. But what's crazy, I saw this stat. He is the first SEC running back since Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker to go for over 2,500 yards in his first two seasons in the SEC. Whenever you as a college football player are being mentioned with Herschel Walker, you're darn good. And this kid is no exception. He is that kind of difference maker for Lane Kiffin in this offense. More importantly, not just that he's good. Here is also why this is a very significant piece of transfer portal news. It's because Ole Miss is going to be really good next year. And we've talked about this a lot. But 
you look at the fact that this is a team that just won 11 games this season, if you include the Peach Bowl, 10 in the regular season. This is a team that returns Jackson Dart, its star quarterback. They have crushed the portal. Uh, you know, Tyler Barron, Walter Nolan from Texas A&M. Oh, by the way, Trey Harris, their star wide receiver is coming back. This is a team. I'm not kidding you. I am starting to put together the preseason way too early top 25. This is a definitive top 10 team on paper, especially with Quinshawn Judkins. So the question becomes, why would he leave? You're really good. You're really talented. Your team is about to be really good next year. Well, I'll be blunt. There's one reason and one reason only that I can think of that I believe that he has at least floated, whispers, mentioned that he plans on entering the transfer portal. I think he's trying to get some more NIL money. This is essentially, I don't know if it's the first one, but this is essentially an NFL contract holdout I think we're seeing in real time. And I think this kid wants more money from Ole Miss. And I'll be blunt, I don't blame him. This is the new world of college football. We have to accept it. The question now becomes, Torres, what are you so, why are you so confident? How are you just going to besmirch a kid's name and just assume that he wants money? Well, it's very simple. There's a bunch of reasons why. Think about just the logic the timing, everything that went into this portal decision. One, why, what, why do most guys leave? Most guys leave for one of two reasons. The first one, they just ain't playing that much. Well, you can't say a kid that had 271 yards uh, rushing, or 270 carries this year, excuse me, by far the most on a team, on a 10-win team. You can't say it's about role. Lane Kiffin feeds him the ball, and he delivers for Lane Kiffin, okay? Two, you can't say the team's not good. We just expressed it here a moment ago. There's no major changes. So you look at the players who enter the portal. Either their role was going to be diminished, like a Kyle McCord at Ohio State, a Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma, or you're not getting any playing time like all the guys that entered from Alabama over the last couple of days, whatever. There are teams and there are players that have left because their teams are struggling. All the guys at Florida or there's been a coaching change, Texas A&M, whatever. None of that applies for Quinshawn Judkins. Beyond that, let me ask you a simple question. If this kid really had no interest in playing at Ole Miss, why did he wait a month to enter the portal? More importantly, why did he play in the bowl game? You're a running back. We all know body blows, touches, carries, hits. You're trying to avoid them. If you're a star. So if he wasn't happy, if he didn't want to be there, this is a move that you would have made a month ago. You don't wait until January 4th and play in a bowl game. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. And the only thing I can think of is it's not only NIL, but it's a very specific situation in Ole Miss. Because think about what is the headline been at Ole Miss this offseason? Outside of obviously winning the Peach Bowl, and winning 11 games for the first time in school history. It is that you guys killed in the transfer portal. Specifically, defensive lineman Walter Nolan from Texas A&M, Tyler Barron from Tennessee, uh, the kid from Florida was their best edge, edge player there, 11 and a half TFLs, I believe, was the stat, eight and a half, seven and a half sacks, something like that. So you have killed in the portal. We all know the portal is a business game, is a numbers game. And we know those players aren't coming very cheap, okay? And so when I see Quinshawn Judkins wait until now, what this says to me is that he probably played for a certain number, a certain price tag this year in NIL. And he came back to campus maybe after winter break, after Christmas break, after finals, 
And he started hearing whispers about this guy made that much and that guy made that much and this portal kid made that much and this kid did this and this kid did that. And by the way, I'm not blaming the kids. Somebody offers you money and it's good. Take the money. But my guess is Quinchon Judkins heard all this and said, you know what? Put his agent to work and said, get me a new deal. As a matter of fact, it was very interesting. Um, as soon as this news came out, I basically put that out on Twitter. And I actually heard from two or three people that basically said the same. Is this this reeks of NIL? I thought this was very interesting from Shannon Terry, who runs uh, On3. He's the founder of On3, president of On3, whatever. Here is what he tweeted. Found this very, very, very interesting. He said, quote, and remember, On3 is the network that does the valuation, right? They do the, the NIL valuation, how much your NIL is worth based on your reach, based on your success, based on your this, based on your that. Here is what Shannon Terry said. Shannon Terry said, Judkins has an on three NIL valuation of five, uh, 535 k $535,000. I suspect he is asking for two to three times his value even in this climate, it's hard to see a running back command a million-dollar deal. De decisions for all of those involved. And so, listen, I think Torres is barking up the right tree with this NIL stuff because, you know, keep in mind, on three, I think, has been a leader in the NIL space. They host NIL symposiums. They talk to all these players, all these recruits, all this whatever. They're probably as plugged into the NIL space and what is going on there as any outlet in college sports. So when the CEO says, this is your valuation, you're probably asking for two to three times as much. That's interesting. It's also interesting because I had other people reach out and say the same thing. He's a running back. This might be no different than the NFL. What Saquon Barkley went through last summer, he's probably going through it as well. He's probably sitting there saying, you're offering all these transfers this much money and you're only offering me this? What the heck? But then Ole Miss is like, we can't pay you X. You're a running back. We'll pay you Y. We can't pay you X. So I just think this is very interesting. This to me feels like a negotiating play. Now, if you're an Ole Miss fan, I'll add this. And I think this is very important. Everybody's sitting there saying, well, I mean, he, he entered the transfer portal. As of about 7 o'clock Pacific, 7 o'clock Eastern time, he has not entered the portal. He's just announced he's leaving. This to me feels very, very, very much like he doesn't want to leave. But he's putting his agents to work. He's going to squeeze every last dollar out of Ole Miss. And again, I hate to say it, but it is probably the right decision on his part. Get that money, man. You were the, you were the star of an 11-win team. These other guys coming in, they don't get the, uh, whatever. You get the point. I just think it's worth noting. All right, there is one other piece of transfer portal news that I do want to get to before we switch gears to college hoops. That is that Ohio State apparently has another quarterback. Now, this is not surprising, but on Thursday night, right as we got set to record, Will Howard, Kansas State's quarterback, did commit to the Buckeyes. This is not surprising. They've been sort of flirting with him for a little bit, and it really seemed to ramp up after the Cotton Bowl. But I'll be honest. Not totally sure what Ohio State is trying to accomplish at the quarterback position. And listen, this isn't going to be another anti-Ryan day. I think he's the worst coach in the world. That's not what this is about. But you know me. You know this show. You know that when I truly believe something in my heart, I cannot hide it. I cannot deny it. You know, there's a lot of shows out there that they won't tell you how they really feel. I'm going to tell you how I really feel. 
And I don't really know what Ryan Day is doing right now. And I do wonder if there is an ulterior motive to bringing in Will Howard. So, who is Will Howard first? For people who do not know. Kid played at Kansas State the last couple of years. Really, you know, good college quarterback. Two years ago, Kansas State won the Big 12 title. That is worth noting. Obviously, uh, they beat TCU. TCU still ends up going to the playoff. But credit to Kansas State. They beat TCU. They win the Big 12. They play the Sugar Bowl against Alabama. In that season, Will Howard threw for 15 touchdowns this year. To his credit, Will Howard improved his stats. 24 touchdowns. Uh, 2,600 yards passing. 61 yard, 61% completion percentage. Here's the other reality about Will Howard, though. He was kind of sort of forced out at Kansas State. They have a freshman, Avery Johnson. They were getting reps. They were getting snaps. Avery Johnson ends up playing in the bowl game. But even before that, it was clear. Avery Johnson is the future. He's going to be our starter. This is no different than what happened with Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma and, frankly, Kyle McCord at Ohio State. Those guys left because there was a guy behind them that the school felt was better And so Kyle McCord hits the portal, or excuse me, Will Howard hits the portal. Very good college quarterback, but there has never been a moment where I thought he was elite. There has never been a moment where I thought that is a guy that you have to go get to elevate your program from good to great. Elevate your program when you have star wide receivers, a star running back, a star a star filled defense. But that exact is exactly what Ohio State seems to be saying with this commitment. We need another quarterback. All the other pieces are figured out. We will get it figured out with Will Howard. There's just one problem. Doesn't that sound like the exact same messaging that we just got about Devin Brown, the quarterback who started in the Cotton Bowl a few days ago? Because that is the problem with me with Ryan Day. Is that, look, I get that, you know, he's he's done some great things. They were awesome in 2019, good enough to win a national championship. They played for a championship in 2020 during that COVID season. I will not take that away from him. But at the same time, on top of the fact that all the the on-the-field stuff, three straight losses to Michigan, no Big Ten titles during that stretch, no division titles during that stretch, the bigger picture is I just don't get where this program is going. And more importantly, I don't love the messaging coming out of it. It feels like to me, every time Ohio State loses, there's a leaked little story about some excuse a few years ago against Michigan. Well, you know, the whole locker room had the flu, and that's why we lost. And then this past year against Michigan. Well, you know, I mean, Kyle McCord was obviously the problem. Was he really? Went 11-0 before the Michigan game. Didn't think Ryan Day coached very well in that Michigan game. The defense couldn't get off the field on the biggest drive of the season, but it all fell on Kyle McCord's shoulders. And so it was interesting to watch it play out because after that game, we've talked about it a million times, Kyle McCord was forced out as the quarterback, and all I heard for a month was Devin Brown's the answer. Devin Brown's the future. He's an alpha. The locker room loves him. Then what ends up happening right after that? We all know. Devin Brown goes to the Cotton Bowl, struggles, gets hurt, and then all of a sudden it's like, we got to go get another quarterback. So was Devin Brown really the answer? Or were you just trying to sell that Devin Brown was the answer? But Devin Brown, by the way, who couldn't beat out Kyle McCord in the preseason, who had three different chances in the spring. In Well, he was hurt in the spring, but in, in summer camp, then you have the first game against Indiana. The second game, finally, after the second game, you have to go to Kyle McCord because you're playing Notre Dame in week four. But that's neither here nor there. But you sold me for, for a month that Devin Brown was the answer. 
You sold me that he was the guy. Then he has like two bad series and you go out and get another quarterback. So why am I here to believe that this kid who was okay, but never great at Kansas state is really the answer. Instead, you know what this feels like to me? This feels like Ryan day. I, now listen, I, I, I think Will Howard is fine. I don't think he is a significant upgrade from what you told me. Devin Brown is instead. What this feels like to me is Ryan day moving the goalposts, right? This is what I mean by that. What I mean by that is that Ryan Day can now sell. Remember, he just sold for a month. Devin Brown's the guy Kyle McCord was. Now he's got another eight months to sell that Will Howard is actually the guy. I'll give you a weird cross-sport example. Guy that I have never bought into, Daryl Morey, the GM of the Philadelphia 76ers, previously the Houston Rockets. I said it all the time when he was with the Rockets. I said, this guy's a clown. All he does is, is reshuffle the deck every six months so he can say, hey, we just need a little bit more time. We're figuring things out. Then when it doesn't work, he just reshuffles the deck again. Remember, he had James Harden and Dwight Howard for a minute. Then it was James Harden and Chris Paul. Then it was James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Then you change the coach. Then you change this. And every six months, he's changing something different so that he can say, just give me six more months. We'll figure it out. Isn't that what Ryan Day is doing right now? I mean, look at, look at what he just did. Just sold us for a month that Devin Brown is the guy. Now, all of a sudden, you're completely out on Devin Brown. You need to bring in another quarterback who, by the way, I don't even think is that good. So I'll be curious to see what the reception is and what the commentary is on this Will Howard thing. I think he's a fine college quarterback. I think he's okay. I don't think he is the guy that is going to re-elevate Ohio State to the levels of Georgia, of Bama, of Michigan, if Jim Harbaugh comes back, of Oregon coming into the Big Ten, of Texas, on and on. So we will see Will Howard as the quarterback at Ohio State. The one thing I will say, if this kid is good, he's certainly got some talent around him. Because the one thing about Ryan Day, that staff, Brian Hartline, the offensive coordinator slash wide receivers coach, they sure do know how to recruit weapons. Sounds like Travion Henderson might be coming back. Sounds like Emeka Buka might be coming back. You have the number one recruit in the country, Jeremiah Smith, coming in. Five-star Carnell Tate, five-star Brandon Innes. So there is plenty of talent in that locker room. Maybe I'm dead wrong, but forgive me. I just don't buy that this kid is the answer. All right, so what we're going to do, take a quick break, come back. When we come back, we're going to switch gears, talk a little college hoops. Big weekend of college hoops. Going to discuss it all next. Quick break. Be right back. All right, everybody. All right, back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. Final segment of the week. So good to be back. So I'm not going to lie. We usually do Aaron right, Aaron wrong here on uh, the Friday show. And I'll just be blunt. I kind of forgot to prep it. And it's a shame, too, because I got a lot right this week. Said Michigan was going to win by a touchdown. They did. Said Washington was going to win outright. They did. We'll see what ends up happening next week. And we'll get back to Aaron right, Aaron wrong next week. But today I do want to focus on college hoops. And that is because we have a very big slate of games this coming weekend. This is the first weekend that all six power conferences, we do have six power conferences in college basketball. Uh, this is the first time that we have all six power conferences playing league games. So the ACC, the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the Big East all started league games before Christmas. The SEC opens league play this weekend, and the Big 12 opens league play this weekend. And there are just some really, really, really big games. And so what I want to do is I want to go ahead and break it all down now. I want to discuss just a monster schedule. So let's go ahead and dive in. Try to just keep it short. Get to, you know, a couple minutes on each of these games. 
Want to start actually Friday night. There's actually a pretty big doubleheader on FS1. The first game is UConn at Butler. Now, this is significant because UConn has struggled in the Big East over the last couple of years. And so they it's just an interesting game from the UConn perspective. Don't want to spend too much time. Butler coming off a loss to St. John's. You want them to get back on track. They are 10 and 4 overall. They're a good team. But UConn opened their Big East slate at Seton Hall. They lost that game. Remember last year they lost about five or six conference games on the road. And so this has been a thing for UConn. As great as UConn has been, they have struggled on the road. This is a game if you're UConn, you want to win because you have to get some momentum away from Hartford and stores. So we'll see what happens in that one. But on Friday night, maybe the biggest game of the weekend is actually on Friday evening after UConn Butler as Illinois plays at Purdue. That is a top 10 matchup. Now look, obviously the big story in this game, Terrence Shannon Jr., star All-American type candidate for Illinois, is currently suspended. We talked about a situation last week. I'm not going to get back into it. If you have not figured that out, go ahead and Google it. But this kid was playing like an All-American, and I think Illinois was a legitimate Final Four threat. Good news is they're 2-0 and without him. I don't think they can continue that. But if they ever get him back, I think Illinois is a team that's good enough to play for a uh, Final Four, maybe a national championship. Uh, they have a kid, uh, Coleman Hawkins was obviously awesome. Marcus Damasak, uh, f- uh, 30 points against Northwestern earlier this week. I really like Illinois' talent, but they ain't going to Purdue. To, you know Torres loves Purdue. You know, no one loves anything more than Torres loves Purdue, but Illinois is not going with, with Terrence Shannon Jr. without Terrence Shannon Jr. and beating Purdue. So keep an eye on this one. This is probably the biggest game of the weekend. I just don't see the scenario that Purdue loses. Let's get to Saturday. couple intriguing games early. First of all, noon Eastern tip-off. North Carolina at Clemson. Remember, Clemson started the year 9-0. and A lot of people thought they were the favorites in the ACC. They have since dropped two of their last four, including an ACC game earlier this week against Miami. So it'll be interesting to see if they can bounce back. But remember, North Carolina is playing really good basketball. I told you I liked him in the preseason. I told you that I thought it was best for everybody if Caleb Love went his way, if North Carolina went their way. Well, now North Carolina's 10 and 3. Their only losses are to Kentucky on a neutral, to UConn on a neutral, and to Villanova on a neutral. Those are their only losses all year. Won a game earlier this week at Pitt. Now, this is a second straight league game on the road. Clemson, of course, coming off a loss. This should be fun and competitive. I would lean Clemson in this game. 1230 Eastern. This is an interesting one. Kentucky. They played like two games in the last three weeks. It's insane how little Kentucky has played, uh, but they open SEC play at Florida. Why this is notable, two reasons. One, this is Kentucky's first true road game. Now, I know they played Penn in Philadelphia, but that was in a big NBA arena. Kentucky had more fans there than Penn did, okay? But this is a true road environment. It is tough, especially for young players, to adapt to those surroundings. And so we'll see how Kentucky handles themselves. We know they're more talented. We know they're really good. I'm a little lower on Florida than most. Everybody loves Todd Golden. He can do no wrong. He's the wonder boy. I haven't really seen it yet. Florida's 10-3. and Uh, But this is a big game for them. Obviously, from their perspective, they need a big win to validate themselves. But Kentucky, you got to go on the road. Listen. You were awesome in out-of-conference play. We talked about you on Thursday's show when we talked about the NBA talent on this roster. But winning in the SEC on the road is a completely different deal. 
I still think Kentucky wins, but this is a challenge. If DraftKings has Kentucky as like a six, seven, eight point favorite, I would take Florida and the points. I do think Kentucky finds a way to win. Let's go to two o'clock Eastern. A couple very interesting games uh, in the two o'clock Eastern window. First of all, how about my boy, Big Rick Energy, Rick Patino and St. John's? They travel to Villanova. St. John's playing really good basketball. They just beat Butler. We talked about the Patino Hurley back and forth earlier this week. So that's been kind of a fun story. And Villanova, to their credit, they took all those weird losses early. They've won four straight, um, beat UCLA, who's not very good. Mick Cronin is, is, is not dealing with this season very well. And then Villanova, without their star, Justin Moore, beat Xavier the other night at home. So I give them credit. St. John's going on the road. This is in the on-campus pavilion. I think it's going to be a tough game. I always lean the veteran team, especially at home. I probably lean Villanova here. But I think this is kind of an important game for Villanova. You want to prove you're in that upper tier of the Big East with Marquette, with UConn, maybe Creighton. This is a game you got to win, but I do lean Villanova. Keeping the party going. 2 p.m. Eastern is a loaded window. Another game that you need to keep an eye on. Auburn at Arkansas. So Auburn is quietly playing great basketball. I think they're a really good team. I don't think they'll win the SEC this year. Remember, they won it two years ago with Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. But I think they can. They're super deep. Really good freshman guard in Aiden Holloway. Uh, Janai Broom down low is a monster. Good three-point shooting. They're big. They're athletic. They're whatever. But Bruce Pearl said, so the toughest place in the SEC to play is Bud Walton Arena, and that is where this game takes place. Arkansas coming off a nice win over UNC Wilmington. I know it's only Wilmington, but Wilmington went to Rupp Arena earlier this year and got a win. Arkansas has to get some momentum. This would be a great, great, great win for them to really ramp up league play. Auburn at Arkansas. Bruce Pearl seems concerned. I'm concerned if Bruce Pearl is concerned. So go ahead and give me the hogs. Keeping it going, Providence at Creighton. You know, that's just a bummer because of the fact that uh, Providence lost Bryce Hopkins, their star player, to an ACL injury. Obviously, you lean Creighton there. Uh, Beyond that, how about this one? Interesting matchup. Nebraska at Wisconsin. That sounds like a football game that's going to end with a 10-7 final score. You know Nebraska is 12-2 and right now? You know Fred Hoiberg? Remember Fred Hoiberg? Could do no wrong at Iowa State, goes to the NBA, gets fired at one place, gets hired at another, gets fired there, ends up at Nebraska. People thought he was going to get fired at Nebraska. He's got him 12-2 and overall. Wisconsin is 9-3. and Wisconsin's playing some really good basketball right now. They destroyed Iowa the other night. Give me Wisconsin at home. I'll say this. The game, and this is going to sound weird, that I am maybe most intrigued by this weekend in college basketball. Six o'clock Eastern, SEC Network, Ole Miss goes on the road to Tennessee. For people who have forgotten, remember who the Ole Miss basketball coach is? It's Chris freaking Beard, okay? And we've talked about it. Whatever you think about how things were handled at Texas, it was obviously not pretty. It was obviously not ideal. He had to be fired. But nobody can doubt this guy is an elite basketball coach. You know Ole Miss is 13-0 right now. You know Ole Miss is ranked number 22 in the country. And so whatever heat Ole Miss took for hiring this guy, it is paying dividends. They're 13-0. Now, they didn't play the toughest out-of-conference schedule. They do have a very nice win over Memphis. Tennessee, meanwhile, I think it's worth noting. We all sort of just gave up on Tennessee a few weeks ago. 
they lose two games in the Maui Invitational, and then they lose to North Carolina. Well, they lost to Purdue and Kansas in Maui, which was actually played in uh, Honolulu, but that's neither here nor there. And then they have to fly home across country and then go to North Carolina. Ever since then, they've been playing really good basketball. They've bounced back with a couple nice wins. Listen, I, I think that the Chris Beard story is cool. You don't have to like him personally, but I think the story itself is cool. I just bring it up to say, I think this is where, like, Ole Miss, this is like the welcome to the SEC moment. You've won a lot of games. It hasn't been against the best competition. I don't think you're going to Thompson Bowling and getting a win. A couple other games, Utah at Arizona. Utah's playing very good basketball. Uh, Craig Smith is the coach there. Um, He was at Utah State. He's a very good basketball coach. And then there's one other game that's worth keeping an eye on if you're a college hoops junkie. Late night. How about this? A Big 12 game between... This is on Saturday night, a Big 12 game between Cincinnati and BYU. That doesn't sound like a Big 12 game, but it absolutely is. BYU, by the way, is playing great basketball. You know BYU comes into this game. This is a 7 o'clock Pacific time, 10 Eastern tip-off. BYU comes into this game at 12-1 and overall. They're ranked number 12 in the country. I don't think a lot of people realize that. They're playing a Cincinnati team that's 11-2 and and playing really good basketball as well. I like BYU in the mountains at home. All right, that is the College Hoops slate of the weekend. And I think, oh, by the way, uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, talk a lot of College Hoops on the next show. I am so fired up, man. I Listen, everybody knows I love college basketball, but the kid loves, I, I love college football, but you know darn well the kid loves College Hoops as well. And so I'm really fired up for the college hoops to be here to ramp up. You know, Taurus talks college hoops as well as anybody. So I'm so fired up and we're going to have a lot to react to on Monday's Aaron Taurus pod. If you're not subscribed to the show, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Also make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Go on, go on uh, uh, Apple, five stars, rating and review. That really would help. Uh, make sure you're subscribed on YouTube. You know the deal of YouTube. Closing in on 32,000 subscribers. Would appreciate your support there. I think that's really it. Social media, Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. All for today's show. I'm going to get out of here. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head unblock me, bro. I'll be back on what day will I be back on Monday? New episode. Aaron Tolkien.